episode 237, Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. And I hope you're doing well. My name is Eddie Cohn. And so much is on my mind that I want to talk about. Another episode will be about health. You know, I've, I've sort of crossed a milestone age-wise. So I, I've certainly been thinking about my health quite a bit. I've been reading a lot of books lately and and trying to do a few or adding a few add-ons to my life to enhance my health even further, if possible. Uh, so that'll that'll be another podcast coming very soon. But today, sort of another area of my life that that makes me feel really good is music. So I want to talk a little bit about music today and play a few clips from this incredible, inspirational podcast that I was listening to with Trent Reznor. He was Rick Rubin's guest a couple weeks ago. And gosh, so many elements here that I want to touch on. But, you know, I'm in the middle of making my fifth record right now. And a few songs I think are pretty much done. And there's about probably anywhere from 13 to 17 songs that are in various stages. And it's really exciting. It's it's adding so much joy and dopamine, and there's this sense of thrill inside of me as I'm bringing these songs to life. It, it's it's interesting. Many of these songs, you know, I'll just pull up my guitar. Um, my last record, a lot of the songs started um, on the keyboard, or I sort of come up with a drum loop. And, and this this record, you know, uh, I just I bought a new acoustic guitar about maybe ten months ago, and I just started playing it. And I hadn't played the acoustic for you know maybe five six years. I'm not a great player, but you know I certainly know my way around the guitar, and I know enough to to create melodies around um, this instrument. And and it's it's funny, but you know. This song called Wheel Stop. And I guess my point of this is that, of bringing this up, is there's such an evolution because when you do eventually hear these songs, so anyway, um, the final versions are really pretty rocking. I mean, it's a full band and, and the drums are big and there's big electric guitars and um, bass. And it, it sounds like a, a modern rock album, which which is, I think, what I want. I, I was really heavily inspired by 90s grunge, um, Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and... and Pearl Jam, of course, and it's it's interesting. My voice is actually evolving over the last year or two. I'm I'm hitting notes in the register that I've never hit before, and it's exciting. It's 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 making me feel comfortable yelling and screaming and hitting these higher notes. Um, and this is such a evolutionary process where these songs start with an acoustic. And then I go over to Jake Reed's house, 
and and he puts in the drums or puts down the drums and it's and all he's hearing is the acoustic and a scratch vocal and maybe some synth where I'm sort of creating a bit of a mood. Uh, I've recorded a few, some, half the songs were recorded where Sean Hurley, the bass player, is there in the studio. But then others, I've I've worked with Dan Lutz before. He's another bass player, and I just think he's fantastic. So others. Um, He's received the songs where it's my scratch vocal, scratch acoustic or rough acoustic, and then the drums, and then he'll put the bass down. And then from there, I bring the tracks over to this new guitar player that I've met. His name's Brett Farkas. He's fantastic. It's It's been such a joy going to his studio at his home and working on the guitars there. And and I put such, you know, all of these pieces are such an important part of, of the song. And I think the the vocals are probably at the top. You know, that's that's probably what most people are paying attention to. But I've I've always really loved music like Radiohead because there's there's so much thought into the musicality of the song. I think a lot of times pop music. You know, I of course Adele has a great voice, but everything else going on around her voice is never very interesting. And I, I would love it if she met a producer one day that placed a bit of a value on all the instrumentation. Like Taylor Swift's latest record, it feels like it's the first time where there was a lot of thought that was placed on all the instrumentation, not just her. So my point, I really love all of these facets of of the song, but I do place a slightly higher value on the guitar because the tone of the guitar can really make or break the song. Like if the bass and the drums are on the song already, you know, you can st- you can sort of steer the, s- the song in many directions still. But once the guitar goes down, it sort of has its, its um, perspective. It has its voice. And so I- I've worked with guitar players in the past, and one of them is on the road now. And, and I was introduced to Brett a couple years ago. And he's just fantastic. But there, is, there was sort of that first moment where, I, in my mind, I'm like, gosh, I hope this works. And it's been great. His tones are incredible. And that's sort of one of these, I think, underappreciated parts of music is the tonality of, of the synth, or in Brett's case, the tonality of the guitar. You know, if you listen to Pearl Jam, or if you listen to Soundgarden, or if you listen to The Edge from, uh, in, in U2, their tones in, uh, that they create on the guitar are mesmerizing. They're always unique and, and have an edge to them, have a personality. They don't sound dated. So I bring all this up because it's been such a process. You know, I start with these demos, bring them to different studios, and then I'm, I'm sort of creating lyrics as I go. And some songs sort of peek their heads out quicker than others. Um, and then I've been singing the vocals in my home studio and I've, I've, I'm editing them myself. And, and then I send the songs via Dropbox to my friend, Kevin, who's living in Hawaii right now. He used to live in Los Angeles. He moved to Hawaii with his family. So we're mixing the record remotely. And, and it's, I say all of this because it's a very complex process but it's also so fulfilling and fills me up with so much joy. And 
as you can tell as I'm telling the story, music is almost everything to me. It's always been such an outlet. It makes me feel good. It, it creates this sense of warmth in my body. There's certain tones and certain notes that clearly I resonate more with others. I love the drums. I love the beat uh, of, of music. There's so much joy. And, and, and actually, I was. let me read this to you from the internet. So I have some theories here. Um, but our favorite melodies, this is from uh, just uh, Wikipedia, our favorite melodies release dopamine, known as the feel-good hormone, which activates our brain's pleasure and reward system. Um, much of music's pleasure comes from the patterns of melody and rhythm. People listening to pleasurable music have activated brain regions called the limbic and paralimbic areas, which are connected to euphoric reward responses. Music, you know, I'm not a, a big drinker, um, don't smoke cigarettes. I, I think exercise certainly um, brings out the, the euphoria in my system. Um, and music has that effect also. And so as I was listening to Trent, as I sort of transition a bit, as I, tran as I listened to Trent speaking to, to Rick, there's so many reasons why I connect with Trent. I mean, Nine Inch Nails has always been one of my favorite bands. And I was speaking to Brett, my guitarist, my friend Brett, like a few weeks ago at a studio. Music used to have mystery to it all. Like there was something about listening to Nine Inch Nails where back then you really, all you knew about them was what you saw on the record sleeve and maybe you saw a music video and that was, that was it. And then maybe you got to go to the concert. There was, there was something about Nine Inch Nails that was very almost... I don't know if it was dangerous. It was. It was. It sort of was. It was very edgy, and it. It. It almost. I almost felt like, gosh, was I a bad person for listening to it? Was there something wrong with me that I found so much joy listening to Nine Inch Nails? And I think sometimes music has this way of of not only making you feel better, but it, it almost like connects with if you're feeling angry or sad, instead of you know. Beating, grabbing a baseball bat and, and banging a pillow or screaming or crying, um, music connects with those emotions and, and sort of has this way of saturating or, or making you feel less angry or controlling those emotions or um, making you feel better. Or instead of using a baseball bat and hitting a pillow or grabbing a gun and going to a shooting range or something, music, which those two, um, those two acts could ultimately make you feel better, music has that same effect. I mean, sure, it is, as I read on the internet, it creates dopamine, but I also feel like there's this therapeutic effect music. There's so many layers to it. And as I was listening to Trent talk back, when, as I was listening to him reflect back upon music when he was growing up, there was something special and unique and empowering and mysterious. And, and it, 
it felt like it could, like a tidal wave, take over our culture. And the problem is, is that when you're my age or you're Trent's age and, and you look back and you feel like, oh, it was better then, or music was better then, or life was better then, you know, you can come across as sounding old or curmudgeon uh, and bitter. And so I'm, I've been really trying to, I've been reflecting about how can I talk about this subject and not sound that way? So maybe when you're a kid and you're, or you're younger and these, these sort of new sensations, these, these new emotional responses that happen in your body, if, if, if you discover a new band and it makes you feel good, maybe the reason why that feels better then than it does now is because it's the first time it ever happened. Like the first time you ride a roller coaster, you're never going to have that feeling ever again. So maybe when I'm 12 and I'm 15 and I'm 20 and I'm listening to Pearl Jam and Nirvana, for the first time, music has impacted me in a very profound way. So of course it was better then than it is now. Uh, maybe there's 15, 20-year-old kids right now that are listening to Billie Eilish for the first time um, and, and they are mesmerized and, and feeling those exact same emotions that I felt when I was 15 or 20. I think there is, though, an a interesting layer here, and I will promise I'll play you Trent speaking in a bit, but I talked about dopamine, how music releases dopamine and makes you feel good. I think, you know, 25, 30 years ago, there weren't many outlets for us as human beings to feel those dopamine hits. You know, you, you could have sex drink alcohol, do drugs. Um, but then, you know, you could go to the movies or you could listen to music. And, and that was pretty much it. So we all collectively, culturally had those very specific outlets to feel a hit of dopamine. And so Trent talks about how music now doesn't have the impact that it once did. And and while I think that's true, I think now, culturally, we're all getting dopamine from so many different uh, outlets. It could be TikTok, it could be likes, it could be Instagram, um, it could be YouTube, it could be going down an, any number of rabbit holes that YouTube has you going down. There's so many different ways to get those hits that music has lost its special feeling in our culture now. It doesn't feel extraordinary. Music is a part of all the other dopamine in the world. And I think that's pretty sad. It's, it's, it's tragic to think that this powerful, emotional, almost figment of our imagination that is brought to life by just the simple act of playing some chords on a guitar and 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 singing melodies that simple act as humans that I that I certainly never take for granted but that simple act seems to be losing its um, sense of specialness I know there's no such word as specialness but it, it just doesn't feel like as special as it used to and it I guess I'm telling you the story about my process because to this day it will it's still 
the top two or three most special elements of my life. I couldn't imagine not being able to sing and and come up with melodies. And and there is something so, um, there's this laboratory feeling that I get where I'm coming up with an idea and then bringing it to life. It's, 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 it's like I'm in a lab and, and I have these people that are helping me and and it's such a process. And once it's done, there's such a feeling of joy. And, you know, I'll spend anywhere from four to five months sometimes on a song, maybe even longer. There's a song right now that I'm working on where I'm not quite sure about the vocal melody and the drums sound great. The guitars are amazing. The strings are sounding incredible. I have a string player that I use up in Seattle named Phil Peterson who's fantastic. I've been sitting on this song now for about four months because I'm still not quite sure about the vocal melody. And I guess it's it's a little demoralizing knowing that in this society that we live in now, um, it just doesn't feel like music is valued like it used to be. So I, I think I'm saying all this because I, I'm hoping that we remember how important music is in our society, in our lives. And maybe the reason why there's there's a sense of stress, there's a sense of anxiety in our culture is because instead of the relaxing tones of music, now people are replacing that with TikTok and Instagram. And, and I don't think, you know, you might have that hit of dopamine, but then that algorithm ends up stressing you out and you want more. And, 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 and music has this way of creating an effect of dopamine that I think is so much different than TikTok. It's like a blanket. It's like a warm blanket. And with TikTok, it's almost like a ad- more addictive feeling of, of, of dopamine where you constantly need more and more and more. Whereas with music, it's a relaxing um, feeling that you get. Complete opposite. I, I almost feel like dopamine can can make you feel better in two particular ways. A relaxing way and, a, uh, and almost in a addictive sort of way where you just want more. And I think that's what's going on right now culturally. So with all that being said, I have to play you a couple clips of Trent speaking about music and our culture. This is Trent Reznor speaking to Rick Rubin from his podcast, Tetra Grammaton. Several years ago, one of the things I was daydreaming about, interested in how people listen to music and consume music, you know, because I think it's important because I care about music. And Spotify was just starting out. Streaming was coming, you know, torrenting and stealing music was declining. Record shops are dead. The industry feels kind of dead. It's unexciting as a consumer. It's felt like if streaming becomes the new thing, wouldn't it be great if two things happen? One, the experience as a consumer could be one that's like going to an independent record shop where, how many times have you done this? I walked in with no real agenda and I left with my arms hurting because the bag's so heavy of shit, I didn't, I, wow, I can't wait to listen to this stuff, you know? I didn't feel that at Spotify's homepage. I felt like I was at the mall walking past 
the same shit that I would see the billboards of down going down Sunset Boulevard, you know? When I stumble into All Music Guide and suddenly I didn't realize that guy produced this record and he also played bass on that and now I've 20 layers deep into an exciting tangent of connections I didn't even know or I forgot about that you know I want to hear that right now wouldn't that be cool if that could all happen in a place that's tailored to you that you know that that was thing number one thing number two a pipe dream wouldn't it be nice let me just pause right there yeah you know it's great that for $9.99 you have a library of of millions if not billions of songs and you can just consume, consume, consume to your heart's content. But there was something about pausing. You know, I, I'm staring at the Coldplay Parachutes record right now in my studio. And I remember hearing Coldplay for the first time on KCRW. The song was called Spies. And I, I had never heard anybody sing like that, or at least maybe in a pop sort of way. I, I had heard Jeff Buckley before, I think. I think Jeff Buckley came before Coldplay. I'm, I might be getting my dates mixed up. But I just remember going down the Coldplay rabbit hole. But I don't think the internet was... Maybe the internet was. It's really hard to think back that that long ago. It's not like it was 60 years ago. My point is, is that there was this sort of very unique rabbit hole of hearing that song for the first time, trying to find them at the record store, buying the CD, going to the concert. And it was all about Coldplay. It was, it was not about listening to one song for three minutes and then, okay, let's listen to another song for three minutes from another artist. Let's listen to another song from another artist for three minutes. It was just all about Coldplay. And I was feeling Coldplay and, and talking to my friends about Coldplay and this, this new album. And then we went to the concert at the Egyptian Theater in downtown LA. And we were all collectively living that experience. And it was enhanced because we were all discovering this band for the very first time. And now there's millions of you out there that are probably experiencing a new artist or a new band or a new song or a new TV show for the first time, but you're all alone. And then when you're done with that song, you're just going to want to go on to another song and, and from another artist or one TV show, and then you're going to want to go to another TV show. It's more about quantity, and it's not really as enriching of an experience right now. It's a, it's a pretty big, dramatic difference. And it's all because of technology, and it's because of Spotify. Let me keep playing. Nice if musicians could get paid for, for making music, instead of it being a loss leader to get you to buy a fucking toaster at Best Buy, or, you know, that, that line in the contract, future technologies that we'll make sure we'll figure out how to not pay you on, you know? Streaming of which has become that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So came up with an idea that at the same time Jimmy was trying to make streaming service within the Beats ecosystem it was a fun project to kind of work on for a year or so just to see if I could even pull it off see what working that climate was like surprise Apple wants to buy it and now can you work at Apple to help them launch their thing with with those two points you just mentioned 
I could try, you know. I've never done that before. Let me see. And finding myself immersed in that corporate culture at the highest level, where it's me versus the engineering team about fighting for things that matter with with the goal being an experience that feels, that elevates music into a, experience I described. What it, what it deserves. What it deserves. It's not auto parts that need to be fulfilled. It's fucking art, you know? Treat it as such, you know? Give it a little reverence, you know? Things like, why can I not see the inside record sleeve of any album in 2023, you know? We've gone back in time. Could you not have someone scan that shit? Can you not treat it like it's, you know, as a small aspect of one of the many things missing from the experience you know treat the shit with reverence you know and well i'll play one more clip but we have to stop it right there you know what i love about the the conversation with trent also he doesn't hold back you know if, if there's something that he doesn't like he says it and and he says it with passion and and it's 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 and he's disappointed and it's sort of in this culture now, you know, we just accept that this is how it is. And is there anything we can, like, like, is there anything, and if you do complain or criticize the way that things are, um, you're thought of as being negative. And you should just be quiet. Just accept it. Be thankful that for nine ninety nine, you only have to uh, you only have to spend nine nine ninety nine to get Netflix or Spotify and look at everything you get. But I think a lot of us miss that three D um, experience, and we just have to work a little harder to create that three D experience for ourselves. And I have to you know get on the phone and call my friends and individually talk to them about new music or a new book or a new uh, TV show. You know, we had this succession Zoom call because we all love succession. You know, Spotify and Netflix, they don't care about that. They just want you to be spoon-fed, algorithmic-driven content so that you stay on their platform as long as possible. They don't want you to dive into the world of Coldplay for three, four months and ignore Netflix and just learn all about Coldplay and where they came from and watch a documentary and find old bootlegs about Coldplay. I remember when Nirvana was coming through in the mid-90s, there was this record store, I feel like it was called Penny Lane on Third Street Promenade. I would drive there because they sold bootlegs of of. Nirvana records or or performances, Nirvana performances in Europe. And I was just hooked. And and music has that power. And it's being torpedoed and and sort of um, stained and and lobotomized by the algorithms of, of technology. Like they don't care about feeling. They just want to keep giving you content that you think that you're going to enjoy. And what that also does is that sort of gets rid of your own process of curiosity, finding things for yourself, finding new music for yourself, going to the record store by yourself, looking and searching. How often are you turning on those curiosity bells in your brain and and 
actively searching for something, not on your phone, but actually going somewhere, walking and and going up and down the aisles and searching and getting your hands dirty. That also has, has been uprooted by technology. So I'll end you with one more clip. Again, this is Trent Reznor on Rick Rubin's podcast. And I I don't know, I've just been really, I'll leave you with this. I'll probably say one more thing at the end, but I've just really been reflecting about the important aspects of my life, my health, the people in my life, but music and art. And I've just been really reflecting on my process this record and and meeting somebody new or playing music with somebody new and bringing these songs to life and trusting the process and having those days where I think I'm terrible and the song isn't going to work. And then two days later, I work on the song and suddenly it sounds fantastic. The process of bringing lyrics to life, um, it's just, it's fucking torturous sometimes, but then it's seamless and, and effortless other times. Music needs to have this mystery and this energy and this, this indescribable quality to it that is so much more enriching and, and nourishing than a fucking Spotify playlist. So let me play this last clip of Trent talking about where he's at with music. I think where it is for me personally right now in the context of Nine Inch Nails in terms of an audience and the culture where it is and the importance of music or lack of importance of music in today's world from my perspective mm-hmm. is a little defeating, I think. It feels to me in general, and I'm saying this as a 57-year-old man, music used to be the thing. That was what I was doing. When I, when I had time, I was listening to music. I wasn't doing it in the background while I was doing five other things. And I wasn't treating it kind of as a disposable commodity. It was a thing that you... I, well, I, don't, I don't go into the cinema and do my taxes while movie's playing. I'm there to watch a movie. And I kind of miss the attention music got. I miss the critical attention music got. Not that I'm that interested in a critic's opinion, but to send something out in the world and feel like it touched places. Might have got a negative or positive, but somebody heard it. It got validated in its own way, culturally. That feels askew. I can't think of any review I care about today that I even trust. I could write it before it comes out because it's already written. It's in, in fact, Chat GPT could probably do a better job, you know, or is currently doing it. Might already job, be doing it. You know, that makes for what I feel is a less fertile environment to put music out into. Completely understood. in the world of Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, completely understood. I think that's where some of the excitement of. Yeah, I think. Part of the excitement of, of create it's weird. I, I know there's a lot of creators. I'm friends with them. And I guess I create also where it's, it's just for myself, or there's this intention where I know I'm going to make this thing. 
and it's probably not going to be seen or read by anybody. It made me feel better. It's something I had to get off my chest or something that I was feeling, so I felt the impulse to, to write it down or, or demo this idea and, and maybe create some pottery, and it's, it's for nobody but yourself. But when you are in the business of music or in the business of art and you are creating something that um, you know you are going to put out into the world, you do want to feel like you're putting it out into a world where people actually care. And I think you may think, maybe not you, maybe not my listeners, but one may think that just by listening to this three-minute song on Spotify where the artist is getting like 0. .0002 of a cent because somebody listened, you know, you might feel like you're in the moment or, or supporting the artist, but it's not supportive at all because that person typically is then moving on to the next thing. They're not supporting the artist financially. Um, they're so driven emotionally by the, or even on sort of a brainstem level, they're, they're being driven by the algorithm and they're not being driven by the artist. I think I'll leave, leave you with that point. I think art used to have this way of transforming the culture or transfixing the culture um, or captivating the culture uh, individually and then culturally where we are all mesmerized by a new artist. You know, Succession may have been the best TV show I've ever seen. And yeah, I listened to a couple podcasts. I spoke to some friends um, that watched it, that all loved it. But it just feels like how it quickly vanished. The, the flicker, the, the energy, the flame was put out, was extinguished. Art just feels like it doesn't have the value, the penetrating value on our sensations that it used to. And I think it's because the, the pull of technology is is so much more empowering. It's, it's, it's creating so much more dopamine. It's, it's so much more addictive. And it's so powerful because people, I haven't entered the world of TikTok. I hear that algorithm is even more powerful than YouTube or Instagram. People are so obsessed with their phones and the alerts. You know, how often are you around people where you're in a conversation with them, the phone goes ding, and they're immediately like, where's my phone? Grabbing their phone. How often does that happen? Like that, it's like we are all, um, we're losing the emotional responses, but we're, um, they're getting replaced by um, like the sounds of dings and, and, and beeps. Like we're not moved. Maybe we are moved by music, but the dings and the beeps, that's what we're responding to more quickly. Like we're, we're like little dogs or lab rats. Like even if somebody, how often are you at a concert or at the movies or listening to music and, or even in a conversation and two minutes go by and somebody's phone bing, uh, beeps or dings and the conversation is interrupted by that beep. Like in order to fully immerse yourself in the emotionality that can be felt by art or a conversation, 
all of those distractions and all the beeps need to be extinguished for at least a half an hour. And I don't think a lot of people can do that anymore. So they can no longer feel the amazing joy that you feel from art because it's always interrupted by a beep. (laughs) So, wow. I know, a little dystopian to think about, but um, I think it's just a little disheartening to sort of imagine that art has lost its relevance on our culture. So maybe think about this week over the next week or two. How often are you in a moment where you're enjoying a piece of art or a piece of music, even food when you're out to dinner? Are you fully enjoying that experience for the hour and a half if you're eating a meal or the 10 minutes when you're listening to music or the 45 minutes when you're watching a show? Are you immersed in that one act or are you constantly being interrupted by your phone or email or even the people you're with? Are they interrupting the conversation with a beep? So that's it for today's episode. You know, it'd be really helpful. I've said this probably almost every episode, but heading over to iTunes or Spotify, giving the show a five-star, writing a review, maybe share the show with your friends. And I'd also love to hear from you. I'm getting a lot of listens in England. Send me a message on Instagram at Eddie Cohn or the Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Maybe after today's episode, tell me what music you're listening to that I should check out. You know I'm a huge music fan, so I'd love to hear from you. I have a few guests lined up. Uh, I've got a podcast sort of percolating in my brain about health that I'll record probably over the next few days. Um, As always, thanks so much for listening and supporting my show. I really, really appreciate it. I will speak to you soon. And until I talk to you next time, have a wonderful couple weeks. Cheers. Cheers.